Beetlejuice. Because Be- you're going to want to hear everything about this fantastic production today on The, the Twins, Twins on Tour Podcast. Podcast. Hi, I'm Julie Book. I'm Jenny Bradley. And this is The, the Twins, Twins on Tour Podcast. Podcast. And today we are going to be discussing the first national tour of Beetlejuice the Musical. That's right, they took your favorite Tim Burton cult classic and made it a Broadway musical. Yeah, so we saw this production on Tuesday, January 17th, 2023 at the Palace Theater at Playhouse Square. And we do have to put a disclaimer on front of this. We were creepy Beetlejuice children yes. when we were little. Creepy Beetlejuice For some children. reason, we would watch Beetlejuice, Grease, and Great Balls of Fire, the Johnny Lee Lewis story. Like, every day. All the time. And the ZZ Top Greatest Hits music videos. Yes. We watched weird stuff when we were kids, but we literally had, like, the same four things on repeat, so my mom just knew which VHSs to have on top of the television that day. But Beetlejuice was one of them. We loved mm-hmm. Beetlejuice's kids. And so I was so pumped when they made this a musical and when we finally got to see it here at Playhouse Square. And it was definitely worth the wait, too. Okay, so just a little bit of background on this musical. In 2016, they did a reading with Christopher Fitzgerald, who a lot of you know from Young Frankenstein. He was Beetlejuice in the original read-through of this show when they first were like, let's adapt this for a musical. Let's see if we can actually do this. And it was a pretty big hit at this first reading. And they were like, okay. Alex Timbers, who also directed Moulin Rouge, was in with it, and it was produced by Warner Brothers. And so in March of 2017, they brought in Eddie Perfect, who did the music for King Kong, and they also had Scott Brown and Anthony King, who wrote the book of the musical, and they started doing more readings in May of 2017. It had three readings and two workshops with Alex Brightman from School of Rock in the title role, and just a sidebar... Alex Brightman is like a millennial's dream guy when it comes to movie to musical adaptations. He played Beetlejuice in Beetlejuice. He also was the original Dewey Finn in School of Rock. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, I am a cult follower of School of Rock. I think as a teacher, I'm just like, okay, that is amazing. I loved that movie. That's one of my favorite movies from the 2000s with Jack Black. Yes, here. And the musical was actually really, really good. Yeah, I think a lot of people tend to turn their nose up at it. One, because it wasn't critically acclaimed. And two, I think we're in our Andrew Lloyd Webber hater stage yeah. in, in the mainstream and all. Well, especially like when you look at like the Bad Cinderella press conference oh and God. all that. It's He's just being really cringy nowadays. Like he, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's an old privileged white dude. So he doesn't really get what the kid's like now. You know what I mean? I just love that mailer that was all over TikTok where it was like from the writer of Jesus Christ Superstar Opera comes something bad. bad and you're like oh my you're like yes yes and like what <laughs> marketing executive went yes this is what we're gonna mail they went yes <laughs> but yeah when I heard Andrew Lloyd Webber was doing School of Rock I was really fearful of how it was gonna go I really did enjoy School of Rock I, when I we saw it a School few of years Rock ago a lot. it was I can understand why it did not win any Tonys it is not the best show I've ever seen, but it was an enjoyable night at the theater, and I was so happy Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't ruin that for me. All of the kids in that show played the instruments, Mm -hmm. too, which I thought was an impressive feat in itself. Yeah, so Alex Brightman, millennial movie to musical Wonder Boy, he played Beetlejuice, Sophia Ann Caruso was Lydia Dietz, Carrie Butler, who was the original Penny Pingleton in Hairspray, and Rob McClure, who just came off Broadway from Mrs. Doubtfire, were Barbara and Adam Maitland in this production. And Carrie Butler, at the time, was actively starring in Mean Girls the Musical, playing all the older adult women, Mm -hmm. so she left a pretty sure thing to originate this role in Beetlejuice. Yeah. The musical had its pre-Broadway tryout at the National Theater in Washington, D.C. It was a very limited run from October 14th to November 18th of 2018, which kind of surprises me that it was such a limited 
limited run mm-hmm. because I know once I heard Beetlejuice is getting made into a musical, I was like, oh, bet tickets. But yeah, same, same like when they announced Anastasia back in the day. Yeah. So it was a very short run. The production was choreographed by Connor Gallagher, music direction by Chris Kulku, who did Runaways on Broadway. The scenic design was by David Corrins, who did Hamilton. And we'll get back to the set design in a second because seeing two David Corrins productions back-to-back set design, I don't think they could have been more opposite. And we'll get Mm -hmm. back to that in a second. Costume design by William Ivy Long, who did Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Lighting design by Kenneth Posner, who did Kinky Boots. Sound design by Peter Holinsky, who did Moulin Rouge. Projection design by Peter Negrini, who did Dear Evan Hansen. Puppet design by Michael Curry, who was the co-puppeteer with Julie Taymor in The Lion King, mm-hmm. who created all those awesome ones for The Lion King. Special effects by Jeremy Chemick, and illustrations by Michael Weber. Music producing by Matt Stein, and dance arrangements by David Davon. The cast went into these readings, and its pre-Broadway tryout included Brightman's, Sophia Ann Caruso's Lydia, Rob McClure, and Leslie Kitzer, who was the original Serena in Legally Blonde, The oh Bend and God. Snap yes. Girl. My mind was blown when I was looking up, like, okay, what were shows that they were in that I can say? I was like, she was The Bend and Snap Girl in she Legally was. Blonde. Oh my God. I was so excited. And Adam Danaheiser, who was in Rock of Ages, were Delia and Charles in this production. It premiered on Broadway at the Winter Garden Theater with the same cast and creative team. It began its previews on March 28th of 2019. And its official opening night was April 25th of that year. There was a lot of drama surrounding this show right in the lead up to COVID because the giant production of The Music Man starring the one and only Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, which is like the ticket to Broadway I would have wanted so bad. The Winter Garden Theater, obviously knowing that they could charge that much for seats, was like, uh, Beetlejuice, you got to get up on out of here. So they had originally set a closing for June of 2020. However, Corona kind of threw a wrench into that, so the original last show at the Winter Garden was on March 10th, which is right before everything shut down due to COVID, and they announced during that, like, hey, we're not coming back because we're not going to be in the theater again before June, so Beetlejuice is over now. And there was an absolute uproar online. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. People be like, this isn't fair. Beetlejuice is a good show. It was making money. It wasn't like it was a bad show by any means. It received, you know, mixed to positive reviews. So the producers of Beetlejuice were like, well, let's bring this puppy back. And they opened at the Marquise Theater on April 8th of 2022. And it recently just closed on January 8th of 2023 after 679 performances and 27 previews. We saw the first national tour. It launched in December of 2022. And it has Justin Collette, who plays Beetlejuice, Isabella Esler, who plays Lydia, Brittany Coleman, who just came off of being the understudy for Bobby in Company on Broadway. Mm -hmm. She played Barbara. Will Burton as Adam, Jesse Sharp as Charles, and Katie Marlilly as Delia. I will say, though, with going back to the receiving mixed to positive reviews in a lot of its reviews from, like, the New York Times and so on, one of the things that they said about Beetlejuice was that the story was great, the performances were great, which I wholeheartedly agree with mm-hmm. this national tour production we saw. One thing that I do agree with that was probably more of a negative review is that there is not one stick out memorable song from this show. I can agree with that. I enjoyed all of the music. It's a very high octane, energetic, you're going 100 from start to finish. Yeah. I really enjoyed those kinds of shows. I was on the edge of my seat. I was excited. I was into it. But I will say, if it did lack in somewhere, there's not one song that I could sit here and be like, oh, that's the big number from the mm-hmm. show. There's lots of big numbers, but none of them stick in your head. There's no earworms in this show, I guess. It's not like One Day More from Les Mis where you go out in intermission, everyone's singing along to that song. Yeah. There's not 
a big number like this in the show. And I can agree with that criticism. I can too. Because the show starts off, I mean, you started a funeral for Lydia's mom. Mm-hmm. And Lydia's in this, heat, like, downward, depressing, like, kind of eulogy style yeah. kind of thing. And all of a sudden it pans over to her ca- mom's casket and Beetlejuice is just sitting there like, how depressing. And I mean, it's just, it's a hundred miles an hour from there. Yeah. I have to give Justin Collette a really big round mm-hmm. of applause. Cause not only that, and Alex Brightman did the same thing on Broadway, Beetlejuice puts on like this gravelly voice yeah. similar to the movie. It's very Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice inspired and it is awesome. Like, they yeah. sounded like Michael Keaton. But yeah, I mean, you can even look up, Alex Brightman did several interviews where he talks about how he had to go visit a dialect coach to learn how to safely do that without ruining mm-hmm. his voice because... Yeah, it definitely yeah. takes a talent to be able to do that kind of yeah. stuff with your voice. Yeah, so Beetlejuice comes out and sings the whole being dead thing, basically where he's explaining how we can see Beetlejuice and what this show is going to be. He goes, this is a show about death and you're going to see a lot of dead people and dead things. So like, buckle up because it's a wild ride. One thing I really enjoyed about the character of Beetlejuice in this show is that he took a sledgehammer right at the beginning and broke that fourth wall Mm -hmm. and he never put it back up. He talks to the audience for probably half of his part of the show. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's one part, I'm skipping ahead a teeny bit, but when the Maitlands have just died, and so he's, like, talking about the the book, the, uh, the handbook for the recently deceased, yeah. he goes, are there any kids here? And then, like, I don't know if there was, like, if it's a part of the show or there was actually a six-year-old there with his parents, but, like, yeah, you just hit some voice, me, me. And then he looks all over and goes, how old are you? And the kid goes, six. And he goes, six. And he just looks at the mom and says, you picked the wrong show. Because Beetlejuice drops F-bombs. He's very raunchy. Like, but it was hilarious. And so, yeah, he brings up words. So he was talking to the six-year-old. Like, you want to see a puppet show? And so, like, the book is talking. He's making the book of the recently deceased talking. He's going, hi, I'm Mr. Book and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, what's that, Mr. Book? You're a little cold. So he throws it in the fire. He's like, oh, I'm burning. I'm burning. Oh, my goes, pages. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, Beetlejuice's character interacted with the crowd so well, and he also picked up on the jokes that people were going to go, ugh, at, and he would, yeah. he would embrace it. Fully embraced it. Yeah, it is definitely not one I would take kids under 13 to. No, I would not. Parental discretion advised for, for sure. Beetlejuice. But it was raunchy in a way that was not as far as something like a Book of Mormon goes. Yes. But it's still something that you're like, okay, this is something I could go out without kids. I mean, I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about that ever. But you can go without the kids and you know that you're in for a night of adult fun yeah. with Beetlejuice. Because but if you do bring, like, your teenage kids, you're not going to be horrified no. and scar them for life. Yeah. You're, no, your teenagers will like yes. it. I, I would say, like, you know, sixth grade and above, probably. Yeah. But so, yeah, Beetlejuice comes out and he explains the whole being dead thing and how... I'm not sure what Beetlejuice actually is, because he was not a living person at any time. I'm no. thinking he's more of, like, a poltergeist kind of thing. Yeah. He, he mentions, gives off very keys from Harry Potter vibes. Yeah, he mentions his mom's a demon at one point, so I'm wondering if, if like, if just you're the child of, of a demon, if you're, like, if you're, like, a poltergeist or something. Yeah, and so Beetlejuice's whole agenda is to become a living thing. He wants to become a living person. And so he sets his sights on this house owned by a couple called the Maitlands, who are going through life, their sweetest pie and Brittany Coleman and Will Burton played Barbara and Adam the Maitlands this sweetest pie you know hipstery millennial couple so 
well. You could tell they were the kind of people who were like, oh, I'm going to go do this thing, but I also don't want any kind of human interaction, but also sorry for being in your way, but sorry that I need this stuff. Like, yeah. It was so good. They sing a song, Ready, Set, Not Yet, about how like they're so busy with all their hobbies that they can't have kids because they feel pressure to have kids. Yeah. And so they're like, oh no, we have to fix up this beautiful old Victorian home that we've just bought. And you can see all the Jimmy rig- rigging that has been done in this house and your inner HGTV person's like, oh, something terrible is going to happen. Yeah. And it does. Yes, so how the Maitlands die in the show that we saw. Um, So for the national tour, the Maitlands die. They do what's called a daisy chain. And so this is a good lesson, kids. Don't daisy chain. They plugged an extension cord into a surge protector. And when she went to plug it into the wall, that's called a daisy chain. And it's very dangerous and can start lots of house fires or, worst case scenario, electrocute you to death. So that's how the Maitlands die in this show. In the Broadway production, they fell through the floor because the floor was rotted through. So there was a trap door that the Maitlands fell through and that's how they died. Mm-hmm. And then in the movie, the Maitlands get into a car accident. So yeah. the, the way the Maitlands die, they, it's like the dumb ways to die kind of thing. It really is, yeah. So the Maitlands die. Beetlejuice has made it very clear not to get too connected to the Maitlands because they're about to die. Yes. He opens the scene. He goes, look at this beautiful Victorian home. And this is the main set for Beetlejuice. You don't get too many other sets besides mm-hmm. the Maitlands house. You see like like the living room area, the attic, and the outside for a little bit. 99% of the, the show takes place in the yeah. Maitland's home. And this is where the set design by David Corrins really comes in. Because when you think about Hamilton, it is that very plain wood set with the turntable. This set for Beetlejuice was so intricate. Yeah. Because it changes several times throughout the show. It is the same house, but his designs and the projections and the special effects that come in change this into three completely different houses through the course of this show. It starts off with the Maitlands, where you can tell this is a DIY person's dream. There's lots of crown molding. It's so beautiful. And after the Maitlands die, they wake up, quote unquote, to figure out they're dead. They can see Beetlejuice, and Beetlejuice offers to be their guide to being a dead person. He Mm -hmm. goes, I'm going to help you guys, because... His whole thing is people can't see Beetlejuice. Ghosts can sometimes, but the ghosts have to help him to get someone to say his name three times so he can become someone that people can see. And then he's going to work on getting to become a human. So Beetlejuice tells you people, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to figure out what we're going to do. And their book of the recently deceased drops and Beetlejuice takes it because he's like, these people can't figure out that they need to go on to the other side. They're staying here to haunt this house. Yep. And immediately you meet the Dietz family. Charles, Lydia, who are fresh off the mom dying, and their spiritual instructor, Delia. Delia. Delia is quite the character in this show. She's a scene stealer for sure. She really is. Yeah, Katie Marlilly really played this role well. Mm-hmm. She talks kind of like this, like an old Hollywood style yeah, extravagant. Oh, and there's just little one-liners, like the way she says success throughout the show. Success. 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 It's so funny. She really does steal the show, this show and the scenes that she's in. And later in the show, when you see her with Beetlejuice, oh, it's so funny. But you meet this family, the Dietzes, and they immediately start making the house their own. And it completely changes into a modern, minimalistic ick basically, for lack of better words. When you look at how it was so homey with the Maitlands and then it looks basically like an art museum. Yeah. When the Dietzes come in, you can tell. But Lydia's going through severe depression at this point. And Lydia was played by Isabella Essler in this show, who is like, I'm pretty sure according to her playbill, fresh out of high school. And I'm just like, dang, she was so good in this role. I will make a lot of Beetlejuice fans very angry by saying this opinion right now. I'm not the biggest fan of Sophia Ann Caruso's voice. 
I think it can be kind of grating at times. She kind she of has, has a whiny tone. She has a beautiful voice. I can understand why she originated the role on Broadway. She has a very Lydia-sounding voice. I really did prefer Isabella's voice, though. I she had that teenage just... Uh, her her version of Dead Mom was really, really, really good. Yeah. Um. She also, I mean, just how young she is. Like, she was a powerhouse. Right? Where are all these children? Can you imagine, like, you know, oh, we're doing Hello, Dolly for the school musical, and then, like, the girl who's going to be on Broadway is auditioning next to you, and you're like, well, shit, I'm going to be in the court. <laughs> yeah, like, all right. Yes, New York. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, but she really was good. So she sings this song about how her mom is dead. She refers to her mom as dead mom throughout the show because her dad's kind of refusing to talk about it. He doesn't want to sit down and talk to Lydia about it. He wants to kind of put a band-aid over it and say, oh, let's move into this new house. Let's start this new family and just move on from it, basically. And Lydia's like, absolutely not. She's yeah, like, she's not like what the house. hell? She's like, what the hell, buddy? Like, it's been like what six months, and you're you're shacking up with your new girlfriend and yeah. bringing me along with you. Like, no thanks. Yeah. So Beetlejuice has convinced the Maitlands to stay in their house to haunt it, and they're up in the attic. They're sitting around and they're learning how to be spooky, and it's not really working out well because. As soon as they try to reveal themselves in a spooky way to Lydia, she's like, oh my god, yes, ghosts. Like she's and they so become, excited. They become bros, basically. Lydia's like, yes, let's scare my dad and Delia out of this house. She goes, it'll work for you because you guys can be ghosting it up in your house without anyone here. It'll work for me because I can go home and maybe my mom is haunting our old house. Like, it really is when you think about Lydia's character really depressing because sad her whole thing is i want to go back and see if my mom is still there i want to go back and see if i can bring my mom back somehow and you have that's really where it hits home that like this is a child Mm -hmm. and the whole thing is revolving around this kid and you're just like when you really sit and think about like when i'm sitting here i'm like ha 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 but then i'm like shit that's so deep and depressing yeah that she's like no like let's scare us out of here so i can go see if my mom's haunting our old house yeah like dang that just hit me yeah (laughs) like poor lydia i know so she discovers her dad and delia knocking knocking boots yeah (laughs) knocking boots (laughs) and it pushes her over the edge Lydia goes, I am now suicidal, and I'm going to go jump off the roof. Who does she find up there? But good old Beetlejuice, who the Maitlands have freshly gotten in a fight with about not wanting to scare innocent people. And Beetlejuice discovers that Lydia can see him. Because she's suicidal. Because she's suicidal. And so he now goes, okay, F the Maitlands. I'm going to use this kid to get myself into being human. So he really tries his best to be like, all right, just say my name three times and I can do anything you want. I'll kill your dad. And she's like, what? And he's like, nothing. I won't do anything. I'll do whatever you want. Like killing your dad. And she's like, I don't want you to do that. (laughs) Like killing your dad. It really is a really comical song argument between the two of them called Say My Name. And you could tell the chemistry between Justin and Isabella is very good. You can tell that they probably do get along and hang out off stage because scenes like that, like, I can't imagine how hard that is to not laugh fake if you're yeah. not actually close with the people. And not laugh because he was being so funny. Yeah. That is one thing. I will say this again and again. Justin's Beetlejuice was phenomenal. Yeah, it really was. And one thing I thought was really interesting, I guess this is kind of going off topic, but when I saw that Beetlejuice was part of the season ticket, I was like, awesome. Great. This is going to be awesome because probably not a lot of people are interested in seeing Beetlejuice the musical because of how tough of a time it had at times on Broadway. It mm-hmm. always was making money, but it always seemed like it was the underdog story. Yeah. And I was like, cool, this won't be too crowded. Um, were we wrong about that, Jen? Yeah, 
they were crowds to rival Hamilton's. Yeah. They really were. And when we went to Broadway Buzz, he said that nationwide it is selling better than Hamilton in some places. There is a huge demand for this show because this is one that I will say I would have saw again. Yeah. I would have seen this more than once if I had the opportunity to. But there literally was not the opportunity to. This sold out in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Most of the performances, if you were going to try to go with a friend, you two weren't going to sit together. together. Yeah, you could get single tickets to some shows, but that was really surprising to me, but also awesome. When you got into the set of Beetlejuice, this was one of the best preset curtain experiences. It really was. That was out there, because they had a big sign that said, it was like the French link, Beetlejuice, 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 with a big arrow pointing down to hell, basically. And they had for lack of better words, spooky music. It was like... Yeah, it basically was like, when you think like haunted house music, it was stuff like that. And they had purple and green lights just panning over the crowd the the entire auditorium yeah it really did feel like you were about to go through like a haunted house and i'm like how fun would this be to see at halloween i wish it would have come through at halloween that would have been really fun at halloween because it really did it set halloween it set spooky like you were in the vibe of this show before it even started it really did it set the vibes perfectly it really put you into that headspace of you're gonna see something spooky you're gonna see things that aren't what we usually like to see or talk about in musical theater, like death and depression and ghosts, basically. And I really did enjoy that with this show. Same here. I don't. I also want to mention, don't know how many of you are active on TikTok, but there is a young man on there who does impressions. His most famous one, in my opinion, is his one he does with Patty LaVoe. Oh. Sean McManus. And he was in Beetlejuice on Broadway. He was a swing. He got cast in the national tour. So he's he's a um, ensemble track permanently in the tour. So he was in this, he was in Cleveland. So the whole time I'm like, it's Patty LaPone. <laughs> I really did want them to give him some kind of solo where he could do the Patty LaPone impression. He does Jennifer Coolidge as well. And it's yeah. pretty good. But yeah. So yeah, if and you he are, was phenomenal. If you are big on TikTok, yeah, Sean McManus is in this show. So you can sit there and kind of giggle the whole time like I did. Yeah. <laughs> so once Beetlejuice and Lydia have their big argument, and Lydia's like, I don't really need your help. Me and the Maitlands are going to come up with our own plan to get us out of this house. You get into one of the most iconic scenes that draws back from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles is trying to convince his friend, Max Dean, that this should be a gated community and that the Maitlands home could be like the starter home or the show home for this new community mm-hmm. that he's trying to get him to buy. So he brings along his fourth wife, Maxie Dean, and they are just the most extravagant, out-of-the-box rich people and they absolutely hate each other by the way yeah you can tell they hate each other but they give off very much the vibes of like a banana how much could it be ten dollars that's the vibe these two people give off we actually had an understudy on for the part of maxi dean and she also plays juno later in the show lexi dorset sharp she was hilarious she She was. was one of the scene stealers like sarcastic witty right on the ball yeah and the way her facial expressions we were up in the balcony and Part of it was the makeup she did was very extreme for Maxie mm-hmm. Dean, like the eyebrows. But she played into that so well yeah. that you could just tell, like, she knew what she was doing She with was like facials. one of the Jersey housewives almost, yeah. is how she played it. And it was it. hilarious. So you get into the part where they're like, okay, we're going to do this. And the Maitlands have learned a few ghostly tricks along mm-hmm. the way here. Like possession. <laughs> so <laughs> it is the Deo, the banana boat song scene where... The Maitlands are going through and slowly possessing people in this house, and they're singing the Deo Banana Boat song. Everyone knows Deo, Deo, Deo. And it was such a fun 
nod to the movie i was so happy they kept yes, that because that's one thing they definitely had to pay for rights to use that song they're probably paying a pretty penny for those rights and it is worth every penny because yes. every person in the audience when that part started it started broke out into applause yeah. because everyone knew that part whether you were a fan of what was happening on stage or not that part brought everyone together and mm-hmm. it was the perfect ending for that act because as this party goes on and the possession starts working less and less that's when Lydia breaks and is finally calls Beetlejuice's yeah, name three times. Yeah, because eventually, because the Maitlands are goody two-shoes, that's really all they're doing is having them be silly. And so mm-hmm. by the end of it, Max Dean is like, oh my, a haunted house? Screw the development. We're just going to sell tickets as like an Airbnb to come stay in this house. Like you're going to get so many guests here. And so the Maitlands are like, well, shit, like people are going to be yeah. at our house all the time. And Lydia's freaking out because she's like, this is not what I wanted. So she ends up saying Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And that's when the curtain drops on act one. Like we said, nothing besides the Banana Boat song stuck out to me as yeah. like a bring it home number. All the music is really good in this show though. Like you're going to be tapping your foot. You're going to be bobbing yeah. your head. It's just not one that you remember much after. No, no. Music and that. lyrics wise. The big hitters in this show are definitely the performances and the book is very strong mm-hmm. for this show. So you go <laughs> into act two and it's a part that is not in the movie and really doesn't do much to tie into the musical, but is hilarious. It's so funny. Because at the end of act one, Charles, Delia, the Deans, Every adult basically, like, runs away from this house. And the Maitlands are very upset with Lydia for calling Beetlejuice's name out and basically releasing him onto their home. So they go up to their attic. They're up in the attic. And so basically it's just Beetlejuice and Lydia, like, chilling, like, hey, we're BFFs now. Yep. And you meet this Girl Scout named Skye. And it opens up on, like, this picturesque view of, like, fields and flowers. And the Girl Scout is basically sitting there singing around and she's like, oh, this is so great. And everything is so fun. And the Girl Scout was played by Jakara Davis. And she's like, I have this heart condition that if I'm scared in any way, I could literally just drop dead. But my parents finally trust me enough to go sell cookies at Victorian houses like this one. And by you, myself. And you see that it's the house of Beetlejuice is currently chilling it. And you're like, oh my God, because she's literally singing like, if I sneeze wrong, I could die. <laughs> and you're like... Do I laugh or am I horrified? And I laugh because it's it's freaking hilarious. Because Jakara played it in such a, like a sickly sweet way where she's like anything could kill me, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna live my life. Yeah. <laughs> and so Lydia answers the door and is like, "Come on in, kid." And you're just like, "No, no, Girl Scout." And chaos ensues. The Girl Scout does not die, thankfully. Yes. It is Beetlejuice saying that the most beautiful sound to him is scaring humans almost yes. to death. Fear. And there's a pizza guy that they call into the house and guys, you know, going door to door selling phone subscriptions, all this stuff that they are just scaring shitless. And it really was a good number because Beetlejuice has multiplied himself. So all of the ensemble members are currently on stage dressed up as Beetlejuice. And they all really do look like Beetlejuice, too. Mm -hmm. You can't tell which one's which except for the fact that there's a spotlight on the actual Beetlejuice. Yeah. And I mean, some you can tell are like, girl performers and so and so but yeah so everyone in the ensemble is on stage for a good portion of act two being Mm -hmm. beetlejuice with beetlejuice and beetlejuice and lydia their whole bff friendship is great except beetlejuice has become very attached to lydia now because she is his one friend who is a human yes and when 
Lydia is like, hey, I'm going to go make up with the Maitlands because I feel bad about what happened. Beetlejuice is not for that. Beetlejuice is the jealous bestie who does not want you to have any mm -mm. other best friends. Mm -mm. And so Beetlejuice decides, fine, if I can't be friends with you, no one can. <laughs> so she goes up and she makes up with the Maitlands who Barbara and Adam finally discover that they shouldn't have stayed in this house, that they were meant to move on pretty much. Yeah. Because they discover they can draw a door to the underworld and that they could move on if they wanted to, but neither of them are really ready to because they're like, we had so much stuff in our life that we just didn't do because we were afraid to do things. So like, we're not done here yet. Yeah, let's hang around for a little longer. And they decide that they really do care for Lydia and they're like, we didn't have our own kid, but we can help this one. Mm -hmm. And so they make the pledge, like, we're going to stay here. We're going to help Lydia. And then, Until she's ready to leave. And then that's when we'll leave. When we're both ready, we'll move on too. And it's a very beautiful moment in the show. Again, Brittany and Will did a very good job. They in these really parts. did. They Played sweet very well, but it wasn't a sickly sweet. Yeah, she has a beautiful voice, she really, too. Yeah, she does. Clear as a bell. Yeah. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed in this was the costumes, because the costumes played with the characters mm -hmm. very well. I would describe Barbara Maitland's costume as very Miss Honey from yeah, Matilda. Yeah, really, though. Like, she had the flat sneakers and the flowy dress, and she just looked sweet as pie. And, yeah. you know, Will looked like every, like upper 30s 40s like dad with like his khaki pants and yeah. plaid shirt and Lydia's is such a 180 from that with like the dark goth lace dress with yeah. combat boots and Beetlejuice is, is the Beetlejuice costume that black and white striped tuxedo with the L green hair and Lydia's reminds me of that tech and I was like that look is hardcore goth <laughs> like that's Lydia hardcore and they did really good like Charles looks like an uptight businessman mm -hmm. who's slowly becoming more and more artsy and Delia's costumes are just like loud and purple and abstract yeah and her hair is in this tight bright red bun on top of her head that you're like how would that humanly stay that straight has to have time? a headache all the time the costumes in this show were designed very well they're attention grabbing they're colorful but they don't distract if that mm -hmm. makes sense they're attention grabbing but not distracting yeah and I think that was another really awesome part of this show. The set design, the costumes, everything in this show, like, visually is spot on. And I think it's one of the ones I've enjoyed. And I think it's why I overall enjoyed this show as much as I did. Because yeah. everything kind of tied in with a nice, pretty bow and made it perfect. Mm -hmm. So after Barbara and Adam decide that, okay, we're, we're going to be here, it kind of all goes to shit, basically. Delia, her life coach... And Charles come back and they're like, we're going to free Lydia. And her life coach very quickly realizes that there are actual ghosts here. And this is not just something he can like finesse his way finesse out of money out of Delia for here. And is very, they're all very quickly caught by Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. And Beetlejuice has now decided him and Lydia are not best friends. He's just going to use her for what he needs, which is a, in his words, green card wedding. <laughs> Because he mentions marriage and everyone in the audience kind of, you know, gets that uh, thing. And he goes, no, guys, this is totally just a green card thing. Nothing's going to happen. Because, like, the parents on stage are like, what? And he goes, guys, it's a green card thing. They really did lean into that well because that's one thing from the movie. I was like, this is creepy. Yeah. When Beatrice is like, I'm going to marry Lydia. It's like, you are clearly Michael Keaton. That is clearly a minor. So I'm glad that's one thing from the movie they did address. And he's like, this is a green card thing. Like Stanley, that is a child. <laughs> Oh my god, perfect. So Beetlejuice is like, yes, I'm gonna marry Lydia for my quote-unquote green card to become a human. Yes, because if he marries a human, he can become a human and stay a human for forever. Yes. And so 
this is basically where everything goes to crap because Delia's life coach, who is now captured by Beetlejuice, was like, I brought this soul box that I'm going to capture him in. And it ends up that things go awry and Beetlejuice captures Barbara in this soul box. And it is not going well for her. Mm-mm. She's in pain. She is almost being forced to cross over because of this soul box. And Lydia then has to agree, fine, I'll marry you in our green card wedding. <laughs> but the bad thing is the soul box has opened a portal to the underworld. And yes. Lydia is like, LOL, I'm going through it to go find my mom. And her dad jumps in with her and the portal closes. Yeah. And this is the only part of the show that I was just like, meh about. Yeah. The whole underworld part was funny. Except I wish it would have been in the part of the show it was in the movie. Yeah. The underworld part happens partially in Beetlejuice much earlier in the show. Yeah. And it's the Maitlands who visit the underworld. Mm-hmm. It's not Lydia. Um, Lydia goes to look for her mom where she is very quickly confronted by someone who was Miss Argentina back in the day and is like, no, you're alive. Go live. You want to go live your life because mm-hmm. it's really boring down here. Yeah. And it basically just makes you think like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like it was... It kind of was a dead stop point of the show. Yeah. It was really funny at first, but the whole thing went on about 10 minutes too long. Yeah. Because in this whole thing, they're dead. You meet this character named Juno, who is like the the Karen of the underworld, basically. The Mike Wazowski lady. Yeah. She looks like the Mike Wazowski lady from Monsters, Inc. And she's basically the one in charge of making sure people from the underworld are where they should be and what they're doing and all this stuff. And she discovers there's two living people and she goes, well, you're going to stay here forever now. And so she's got all the dead people running after him. And Charles and his daughter finally confront the part where they haven't talked about her mom's death because Lydia is just running through the underworld screaming for her mom, which again is very depressing when you think about it. Yeah, it's like traumatic almost. And it, it was a really sad moment because the set design for this was basically just a series of, like, tilted black, boxes that yeah, get smaller boxes, and smaller as you yeah. go. So it's making you look like you're falling into a black hole. And she's just running through this, screaming for her mom. And you're like, oh, my God, this is sad. Yeah. And Lydia and her dad finally have the conversation about, we don't talk about mom, and that depresses me, dad. And he's saying, I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to depress you because I'm depressed about it, too. Win for mental health in this scene, I really think that is something important that should be in the show. I just think the whole scene in itself was way too long. I do too. Well, plus, like, I also get it. This is a show about death, but everything else up to that point was really funny. So I'm like, this is a hardcore bummer, man. Like, yeah. When we actually had to confront that death is sad, I was like, ugh. Uh, I, like, I like the campy version better. Yeah, can, can we just go back to, you know, like, sitting on mom's tombstone being like, hello? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it was a good song. Again, Isabella has a beautiful voice, mm-hmm. and she is a really talented actress, especially yeah. for being so young. Like, I'm excited to see what she does in the future. Mm-hmm. They finally get out of the underworld. They come back up. Beetlejuice has completely taken over this entire house now. It's the other change that you see in the Maitland's house. Mm-hmm. It's basically looking like there's a Beetlejuicy snake running through the house in places. It's striped black and white. Everything kind of looks tilted, it was another, like, this is the same set, but projections and simple, ce- like, scenic changes make it look so different. And again, a real nod to David Corns on this one, because yeah. it was such an interesting set. It was. So Beetlejuice has basically taken over the house and is kind of auctioning off what he's going to do to the people he has trapped, what he's going to do to the Maitlands, what he's going to do to Delia. And 
Lydia comes up with a plan with her dad where they come back from the underworld and she goes, no, we're about to have a green card wedding. And there's this whole number where when you listen to the lyrics about her saying, like, marrying my creepy old guy. I just love my creepy old guy. Yeah, like, it's so funny because all the people are like, yes, we're disgusted with Beetlejuice, but now we love him. Yeah, they're like, we're so happy Lydia's marrying this creepy old guy when she's a minor. And, yeah. like, when you listen, like, if I was a person who just read lyrics, I'd be like, what the fuck is <laughs> but when it's being performed on stage because they're doing all this like campy like la 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 for basic words choreography like they're spinning her around she gets in the, the red lace wedding dress that everyone knows from the movie of Beetlejuice which really did pop on stage it was a very br- bright vibrant red yeah and at first too you can see like the you know Delia and the Maitlands are like wait what and so you see like in the background like Charles is singing something like I can't wait for this creepy old guy to be my son-in-law and you see Lydia kind of like telling them the plan in the background yeah. and yeah it was very funny the song is literally called creepy old guy <laughs> it was very funny yeah so they're setting up this huge wedding and they know in the back of their head that juno the karen of hades is after them so you find out right after they get married Beale just is like i'm a human that juno the demon is his mom <laughs> And she comes in, and earlier in the show, the sand snake that you know from the movie of Beetlejuice makes its appearance to eat Beetlejuice's mom, and then immediately Lydia stabs Beetlejuice, and Beetlejuice is dead. Yep. And he's like, oh, I live for like a whole four minutes. Like, he really plays into the fact that he's like, we spent this whole show trying to get me human, and now I'm already dead, so all of you wasted your time being here. Yep. It was really, again, like, Justin's Beetlejuice was just spot on. I didn't spend $200 to see me live for four Four minutes. minutes. It was really good. And at the end, they really play into the fact that they're like, yes, we're going to have our happy movie ending and just have a cleaning montage. Yep. And it's basically just the Maitland saying, we're going to stay and help Lydia for longer. And Charles and Delia being like, yes, we're a happy couple. And Lydia's okay with it. And Lydia being like, I do want to live. Like, my mom would want me to live my life, which is nice to see at the end because when you see shows where like there's you know kids who aren't in good places it kind of seems glossed over Lydia full-on just addresses it which is nice yeah and they do like a Deo dead mom shake 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 Sonora also from Beetlejuice like the Mm -hmm. end where she floats up in the air they did that on stage they did it wasn't done with wires it looked like she just got hooked to something in the staircase and it lifted her up and yeah because at first I was wondering how they did that because I'm like I don't see any wires Mm -hmm. on her yeah I think it was like some kind of hook in the staircase that moved up and down which was really cool because that was also one of my favorite shots from the movie as Mm -hmm. a kid when she was up in the air and the ghost football players were dancing the shake Sonora with her Uh I was happy they matched that up too Like we said, overall, I really loved this production. I did too. I really enjoyed myself. It was a fun night out. Yeah, it really played into the movie well. It took from the source material, but didn't make unnecessary changes. Yeah. Everything they changed was to update or adapt it in a better way for Broadway, which I really did appreciate. And I think that's one really important thing to address is that there are shows that are written to be critical successes, like our next episode of Town. Yeah. And there are shows that are written for commercial success, like Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. And not saying that just because something is written critically means it is more boring, or something that is written commercially means it's not good. And I think this is one that kind of breaks that stereotype, because for a commercial written show, I really did enjoy Beetlejuice. Again, I agree with the criticism that there wasn't strong music in this show. Yeah. All of the actual music was great. Nothing lyrically, like, hit home. Yeah. But when you look at a show like Town that was written for very critical artistic success, I'm going to spoiler alert some people here. 
it wasn't for me. No. And I enjoyed Beetlejuice more. It really does lean into the fact of Town is a beautiful show. It is. I will give that to her. Anaya Mitchell wrote a masterpiece. She it did. just wasn't a masterpiece I enjoyed as much as something more commercial. And I think that's something that in the theater community really does need to be addressed because it seems like sometimes there is this stereotype of if you like commercial driven shows, you're not as big of a fan. Big of a fan as people who go for the critical shows. Because when you look at something like a few years ago, a show called The Band's Visit won the Tony for Best Musical, and I did not like that show. It was written to be a very critical success, and it was. Critics loved that show. Like we talked about in our last episode, Tony Shalhoub beat out Ethan Slater solely because he played the lead in the band's visit and Ethan Slater played SpongeBob. Yeah. Again, I don't think just because something is written critically aimed that it means it's better in any yeah. way. And we'll get into what we liked and disliked about Hades Town in the episode. But I think that's something really important to address is that just because you like things that are commercial doesn't mean your taste is any worse than anyone else or because you like critical things that your taste is per se better. No, and I mean, I can remember back in the day too when we were just getting into theater in high school, um, a lot of us, the girls our age, we got into musical theater because we watched the Legally Blonde, The Search for Al Woods. Yeah. We were really into Legally Blonde, the musical. And, you know, a lot of the older kids were like, oh, like, you, you don't watch like Les Mis and Phantom and stuff. And we're like, well, mm-hmm. no, like Legally Blonde's my favorite. And yeah, that's... That's something that it's still pretty prevalent today. If you if you like the classics, they you tend to look down on the kids who get into theater via something commercial. A yeah. lot of people got into musical theater when Mean Girls came out, for example, yeah. or Frozen. Or... Yeah. It's one of those things where just because it wasn't, <laughs> I'm going to use the word gateway drug, your gateway drug doesn't mean that it's the same for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Because there are shows that are critically successful that have come out in the past few years that I think are beautiful. Yeah. And there are shows that are commercial that I'm like, this shouldn't have been made a show. Like, did Pretty Woman the Musical need to be made a musical? Absolutely not. Yeah, I can totally agree with any criticisms about that one. Like, yeah, it was a good or, night I out. I mean, there's but... several other ones. Like, yeah, some shows for Broadway are made to be, quote, the good mm-hmm. night out. Beetlejuice was made for a specific fan base, but also to be a good night out, but also just because... I think it worked really well as a musical. I think it did, too. I think there's some that don't work as well when it's made into a musical. Was Mean Girls a perfect Broadway musical? No. Was it really needed to be a musical? Probably not. But I think the adaptation of movie to musical for Beetlejuice worked really, really well. And in Mean Girls' case, I honestly think that the new adaptation they're going to do of the musical Mm -hmm. might be where Mean Girls really finds its sweet spot. Like a movie musical. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're going to have the movie musical. They got movie actors in it who Mm -hmm. can sing, and some of them have been on Broadway too. So I think they're really going to find their sweet spot there. Yeah, I mean, I guess just for our long-winded we're up on our soapbox thing. It doesn't always matter if it's something that won a ton of Tonys to be good because the next show we're going to see won a ton of Tonys and I liked this one better. Yeah. Because spoiler alert, we're recording two episodes in one day. Right now we're going to record these back to back. But yeah, I think it's just one of those things of in theater, it's not a place to be judgmental and it's not a place to say, oh, if you did like Town better, that means, you know, you're more boring. No, it's everyone has their own taste. Yeah. And I think that's something that really does need to be spoken about and repeated that yeah what you like is what you like and don't be ashamed of it that's the nice thing about art for the most part it's subjective what one person likes another person may not but we all need to respect each other's tastes exactly all right so like we said next episode is Hades Town. after that we will be seeing Aladdin which again another commercially successful show coming mm-hmm. to Playhouse Square we're taking our parents and Jenny's husband to see that yes. one which will be exciting so our socials, you can follow us on TikTok at Twins on Tour 1, on Twitter at Twins on Tour 1, and Instagram the.twins.on.tour1. 
I'm Jenny Bradley. I'm Julie Book. And this is the, the Twins, Twins on Tour podcast. podcast.